everybody. Welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. And once again, we are broadcasting this episode from our home here in the Gunnison Valley of Colorado. And you should start making plans to come ride on our vast network of trails here in Gunnison and Crested Butte. Okay, our guest today is Brooklyn Bell, who is a skier and a mountain biker and an artist and a former figure skater and maybe a future frog scientist. And so we talk about all of that and a whole lot more in this conversation that I enjoyed very much. So yeah, I guess apologies if you were looking for a much more focused and narrow conversation. I don't know, maybe Brooklyn and I will have that conversation sometime down the road, but maybe we'll just have another really wide ranging one where like we did in this one, Brooklyn introduces new categories of music like cinematic bluegrass. I have a strong suspicion that she'll have another really interesting big idea, like the one that she shares with us here. And so basically, I think we should just go ahead and get to my conversation with Brooklyn Bell. Here we go. Well, Brooklyn, how are you today and where are you today? I am in Bellingham, Washington. It is eight, almost 830 Um, I had a full day of skiing and shooting um, stills and video with my buddies today, and it was super fun, and now I'm pretty pooped, but I'm super (laughs) excited to chat. (laughs) Was this like an early start day? Oh, yeah. We had to get in there before anybody else was going to steal those lines, and then we realized that nobody else was going to go in there anyways. (laughs) That's good. I was about to chastise the skiers and snowboarders of Bellingham. Like, what's up? Why wasn't anybody on the mountain? But just not in in your particular spot. (laughs) No, we did not run into any pirates. Okay. First real question I have for you, and I've been really excited to ask you this since I saw something that you wrote a little while ago. Oh, no. (laughs) You may recall this. Actually, you wrote this on or posted this on October 13th. (laughs) Uh, you, you said, uh, growing up, I thought I would be a preacher, a teacher, or a scientist, specifically a scientist studying frogs. Yes. I was like, okay, question number one, please walk me through these three potential career options that you kind of had, you know, thought that that might be your path when you were a kid. Yeah. So that's a really good question. Well, I think I just wanted to be a teacher because it rhymed with preacher, but I wanted to be a preacher because I I grew up just like going to church. And when I was younger, just going to church was just so moving for me, like singing in the singing with a group of people was so amazing. And seeing people be touched by that was really cool. And then also growing up, um, you know, my parents um, in the south side of Seattle, they bought a like property that had almost like an acre of land and there was a pond there and we just had tons of frogs like frogs in our house like everywhere Um, and I would collect all the frogs and then they would die and like I was just so fascinated by um, just my backyard and it being like this kind of like rainforest you know 
or Northwest Rainforest, and I just love frogs. I confess I had to look up the name for the specific study of frogs. I'm putting you on the spot. Do you know the answer to this? I did not. No, I do not. Okay, that makes me feel better. Um, (laughs) Man, I feel like I'm being called out. (laughs) I mean, you're the the frog lover. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Herpetology. You would have been a herp herpetologist. A herpetologist. Yeah. I mean, there's still time. That sounds you know? awesome. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. This could be like a couple years from now when you take the next kind of turn. And, Sky's uh, the limit. <laughs> that's right. Yes. If, I think if, you, if you've taught us anything, I think it's that the sky's the limit. Pro biker, pro skier to herpetologist. I think that would put you in truly one of a kind company. I'm like, I wonder how you could combine all of those different things. Maybe the study of frogs like can help people like jump better. I was thinking frog graphics on skis, but but I I like your answer better. Okay. Another thing that I actually just learned about you is that, and this is really interesting to me, that you spent some time, maybe a lot of time, figure skating. Yes. Tell me about this. I think this is a wildly underappreciated discipline, right? When when some of us look at whatever, basketball or football or skiing or mountain biking, we don't tend to think of the athleticism maybe of figure skaters. And I'm guessing that's probably a huge mistake if maybe I'm the only one doing that. But like, anyway, I, I'm curious about this. I mean, I was never like great at figure skating, but my mom figure skated when she was little. And so um, just like the first couple of times that she took me skating, I just got hooked on it. And then she put me into lessons and then I started progressing. And then um, at some point, like my parents couldn't really like afford to keep up with, um, you know, keeping me in lessons and doing individual skating. So I ended up actually doing synchronized skating for a couple of years too. Like on the public synchronized skating team or how did that yeah so we had a synchronized skating team here in bellingham and it was you know kind of this way that i was able to um, find community when i first moved here that's fascinating yeah and and this is another thing i guess i'd never really thought about like yeah most people into figure skating that usually means like private lessons yeah okay yeah So like the team skating thing, I feel like a lot of people don't do that unless you live in Canada. The Canadians are are down with the team, the team skate. Hockey, synchronized skating, all that. So while I said I think we sometimes underappreciate the athleticism required, you were kind of saying, I feel like this whole skiing thing, like I'm feeling pretty comfortable pretty quickly. And you said maybe in part because of your skating background. And that completely makes sense to me. Like, frankly, mm-hmm. skiing to me seems way easier than <laughs> figure skating. Maybe because, yeah. I don't know, those thin little edges, blades, I don't know. I don't know. I think that skiing is harder because, like, at least skating, you're, like, on this flat plane. Like, skiing, you just you're going downhill and uphills you have to like read terrain like skating you just have like this flat surface and it's very consistent okay i hear you but like on (laughs) skis i can get a real wide long platform that kind of levels things out you know it's true 
Plus, I just am terrified of those like little blade things. I that that just like I would break my ankles with the toe picks. All of it, the whole skate thing. I feel like this would not end well for me at all. Yeah. So, okay, was skating kind of your first sport growing up, or like your primary sport, or and you know, aside from frogs? Um. Well, I loved creating art. I loved doodling. Um. I was definitely like a daydreamer. Um. I have notebooks of pond notebooks of just doodles and drawings that I've kept over the years. Um, I still keep lots of notebooks like that. And I've like figure skated for a while. And then I decided that I wanted to play soccer, was never really good at soccer, but like tried anyways. <laughs> I um, played bass clarinet in the band for a really, really long time. And then um, I was uh, like yearbook editor for my yearbook and just did all sorts of kind of things. Okay, I like this. How were you on the clarinet? I was not, well, I mean, like every once in a while I would get a really sweet solo, but I wasn't ever <laughs> really that great. <laughs> you know, I think I really just enjoyed like listening to so much of the music. Specifically listening to clarinet music? No, like listening to the full band like play together and like seeing how all these things work together. I thought that was super cool. Yeah. I kind of feel like clarinet is one of those instruments where you kind of need to be pretty good for it to not go sideways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like if you're like a mediocre drummer, that probably will like work out okay. But like a mediocre, like if I tried to play the clarinet, it would, everyone would, everyone would just leave the room immediately. You would sound like a hollering bird. Yeah. But like a, not a cool bird, like a, no. like, a like a being like a tortured bird. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Do you think you, you rose higher than the level of the torturing bird in your own? Oh, definitely. Okay, good. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> good. Delightful. Okay. So the art stuff happened early and by the way we're supposed to be talking about bikes at some point and you know we'll get there <laughs> but, oh yeah definitely but my understanding is i mean the the riding part started i mean in the scheme of things relatively you know later in life for you so yeah. i was curious yeah. to get i always love getting the kind of backstory on people yeah but art this one and obviously this is something that's still a big part of your life but that started from a pretty young age yes Created art from a really young age, started, you know, loving just working in Photoshop when I was in middle school, knew that I wanted to be a graphic designer in middle school, started creating my own t-shirts. I remember I took one of my designs to one of the local screen printers in town and I was like, you guys should run this design. It's great. And they were like, no. <laughs> and I was, you know, like 12 years old trying to like walking around town with my designs I feel like sometimes I still do that you know trying to get trying to get companies to you know um have me create art for them uh and then you know in high school started doing yearbooks started like pursuing more design and realizing that was something that I wanted to do um and then it was kind of weird it was like after high school, I actually started getting into fine art. And that's kind of where like my art comes from is, you know, working in Photoshop and Illustrator and InDesign, you know, for 
like a handful of years and wanting to continue being creative and create something, but not really sure how to do that with like paints or, you know, typical like illustrations. So I just kind of use the tools of Photoshop to create stuff. And those first pieces of art weren't really great, but like over time, I've just like fine tuned um, my ability to use that program. Yeah, it kind of feels like uh, in Photoshop, like I know all the key commands. And so it kind of just feels like its own language. I was about to say, I wondered if you if you were about to say it kind of feels a little bit like playing an instrument. It's exactly like playing the bass clarinet. <laughs> I'm just there to listen to the music. <laughs> I like this. Are you just saying this for my benefit or do you really feel this way? I am joking. Okay. <laughs> okay, so the musical instrument analogy doesn't quite resonate with your actual experience. But the, as you said, instead, it feels like it's its own language, but not quite a musical instrument. Well, I feel like, you know, you know, whether it's music or art or biking or skiing or, you know, figure skating, you know, whatever creates flow. And I feel like that's, that was what I was experiencing when I was listening to music and, you know, um, playing an instrument and you know that's what I experience when I create art too that flow state stuff yeah huh. with your art this is a big generalization but mm -hmm. if you had to kind of fall into sort of either camp a or camp b yeah some artists it's really about their own reps and coming back and you know trying something trying something and, and they kind of have this organic evolution of their own work other people are out there like really studying really looking at what else is going on what other people are doing if you had to put yourself in one of those two camps do you feel like you fit into one like camp a or camp b or, or you roll somewhere in the between those two like are you saying that you know people in camp b are like looking at kind of like other people's art and taking that in yeah. versus like camp a yeah like for, for a different analogy right i think writers mm -hmm. some writers aren't really paying attention to they're not out there reading every novelist or they have their one or two favorites and mm -hmm. they even if they're not trying to come back and copycat or mimic them there's a you know a few folks that are big sources of inspiration i think there's other yeah. writers who just really don't pay that much attention yeah. That's what I was kind of curious about in your case. Mm. You know, I, I collect so much inspiration from other mountain artists. I have like a couple of artists who do completely different work than I do, like really psychedelic, really strained work that I'm like, oh, how can I like make somebody else feel the way that I feel when like Leif Podensky like creates all these weird collages, you know? Um, I feel like it's like both sides of that and I feel like I I the beginning of my journey especially like I was looking at other artists and being like oh I want to be like that how can I be like that and then I just started kind of leaning into more of my own style this stuff is interesting right and I, I think that for me at least I think of this a little bit like seasons where mm -hmm. you know my time in college or grad school or whatever, where it was kind of this serious, serious study of other people's thought or other people's writing yeah. or whatever. And then, then you kind of get to like 
go off and do your own thing for a while. Hopefully, hopefully you learn something from that study and then you kind of go and do your own thing. And this is the other thing I was telling you, you know, before we started recording, like I'm really hungry to kind of be able to circle back and spend more time in the, like in the reading in seeing other people's stuff, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I think it's a really, I mean, this is kind of the cool thing about being alive is you get to kind of be in certain seasons and sometimes it's about your own intense creation and sometimes mm -hmm. it might be a season or maybe it's just a weekend of like you're really diving into somebody else's work and seeing what's going on but mm -hmm. I don't know I I was curious in your case because I wasn't I didn't know if you were more of the like I'm kind of just doing my own thing or if you're how much you're kind of going outside to look at other people's stuff for, to draw inspiration or the like I like to think that I'm like taking inspiration from my outside world that I'm like paying attention and slowing down and seeing what's happening. I created like a newer piece of art the other day. Somebody, somebody the other day uh, said something that was like, well, I don't know if I quite agree with this, but like this person said that like good art isn't always beautiful. And I was just thinking like, well, maybe if I just take some really ugly looking colors and make that like figure out a way to take these like ugly kind of like jarring colors that nobody likes because they're too intense and like creating something that feels balanced and that works. And so I'm definitely like in this place where I'm like, okay, like how can I figure out a way to kind of you know, surprise people or surprise myself or um, create something that is just different and interesting and weird. I think any good artist ought to be interested in exploring the different and the interesting and the weird. So it sounds like you're in a good spot. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You used the phrase a couple minutes ago. Please correct me if I'm wrong. I thought you said your kind of mountain art. Yes. Well, I'm curious if that, like, when did you start talking about your work as mountain art? Uh, I mean, I think it was like when I first started the artwork, I kind of just started, like, saw it as like landscape, uh, um, like 18 years old. Like when I first started creating that art, I was like going backpacking for the first time. You know, I, it was like that spring I was like mountain biking for the first time like my whole world was opening up and like art was part of that passage got it and it went hand in hand yeah yeah so this is I think an interesting part of your story you were 18 when you started I think that's kind of when you started getting into bikes and you were hiking and backpacking mm -hmm. I mean you had been in Bellingham for some years prior to that, right? And yes, yeah. so I think that would be interesting to talk about. It's like, so I think sometimes people think, oh, Bellingham, obviously the minute you showed up, you were automatically hiking and backpacking and skiing and mountain biking and all this stuff. Not, not quite your experience. No, I mean, like not quite my experience, but I think that like even just living here, like living next to trails and living next to just like more access to like you know more parks that are close by like um I was spending time more time outside like even though I wasn't on biking or skiing um or you know backpacking like 
my version of the outside and like freedom was like so much when I came to Bellingham. I never ended up really like finding it, mountain biking really until after I graduated high school. And after that, I was like, whoa, this is a whole other world. I got to stay here. So talk a little bit about that experience. I came to find mountain sports later in life myself. So it's always fun hearing about, you know, a lot of a lot of our audience at Blister, a lot of our reviewers at Blister were people that kind of started doing this stuff from when they were super young. That's not my experience. And so I'm I'm always curious to kind of hear these these stories. Yeah. So tell me yours. I don't know. Like, gosh, getting into mountain biking, you know, it was like I was going through puberty again. <laughs> like it was like a second coming of age. Like I just felt so new and like so fresh. And I just felt like I had so much more to explore and see and like understand. Um, and I was just so curious. I was like, Oh, I need to, I need to know. I need to know where my bike can take me or like what I can do with my bike. And yeah. So the whole experience was just like, it just felt so new and so fresh and it, it just kind of just kept me in town. And getting into the sport, mm -hmm. were you kind of just doing this on your own? Did you have a friend or a mentor or somebody at a shop that was kind of, you know, I mean, these are not the easiest sports to just kind of stumble into. So how did that go for you? Um, so like my story of getting into mountain biking is just so sweet and so wholesome. Um, I was, you know, working at a bagel shop at the time, the bagelry, um, and I had a regular who would come in every single day. He would order his Bialy with just butter. Um, he had his coffee black and, uh, I would see him in the morning and then later in, in the day, I would go and I would run Galbraith and try to explore, explore the trails out there a little bit more. And sometimes I would run into him while I was on my run. And it just kind of got to the point where, you know, we would bump into each other often enough at the bagel shop or riding bikes. And it was like, man, I like see you at this bagel shop every single day or riding. So at some point I just had to like introduce myself and I was like, hey, I keep on seeing you at Galbraith Mountain. And he was like, oh, hey, I keep seeing you there, too. And you're not on a bike. <laughs> like, it was a confrontation. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he, he was upset with you. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, why aren't you on a bike? And I was like, well, I can't really afford to buy a bike. Um, definitely really curious about it. And um, he's like, sweet. Like, I will take you on your first bike ride. And, you know, after that first ride, he was like, well, I was like, can I borrow your bike again? I really want to do this again. He's like, no. <laughs> so I ended up, I, all of my money and my savings, I ended up buying my first bike. Um, it was a uh, Scott Hardtail and her name was Sweet Pea and she was done so quick. I felt like she was going to destroy me. <laughs> well, Yeah depending on what kind of trails you're riding, I, I can see how that yeah. might be the case. Yeah. And then my first full suspension bike was uh, a Kona Process 134. That's quite a jump up from Sweet Pea. Oh, I knew. I knew like right as I had that like first full suspension bike, I was like, 
oh, this is like a different sport. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then fast forward and you pretty recently started a partnership with Juliana, right? Yes. Yeah. And I'm so pumped to be with Juliana. Um, I'm really excited about their community and I'm pretty pumped on that Maverick bike. I rode that, um, I rode that during the fall time on some really steep trails and like it's a mid travel bike 29er, which I've never had before. And like, I just felt like that bike was like whispering my ear, like, Oh, go faster. You can go do it. (laughs) That's a good feeling. It's so capable and it's so fast and it pedals really well. It's super cool. Like it's, it's a cool girl bike. I feel like I have some like cool girl boots to fill or something. <laughs> it is, yeah. And, and like I'm on the, I guess the whatever unisex or something version of it. Cause my daily ride is the Santa Cruz high tower. And I, yeah. Yeah, like I'll I'll often say, like biking for me is like just making mistakes on the way up and picking dumb lines and then picking (laughs) dumb lines on the way down. And just the number of times that I'm like, I'm literally just kind of start laughing and I'm like, thanks, bike, for bailing me out again. It's (laughs) it's so capable and forgiving. It's been a real pleasure in my experience. And I'm pretty psyched that you and I are kind of on the same bike. Yeah, yeah. I'm so excited to like really get to know this bike too. I'm pumped. Yeah. And then we can ride our same bikes together, whether that's in Bellingham <laughs> or Crested Butte. Crested Butte? Part, part of the negotiation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that's cool. So, and and one of the things that I'm a bit envious of is, I mean, you were just telling us at the top of this conversation, I mean, you're you're skiing, you skied all day, you were out filming and stuff but you are also able to get on your bike like right now. And we're recording this, you know, early February. Yeah. Like what's this split look like for you? Like how often are you skiing currently? How often are you on a bike these days? I mean, like right now during the winter, I am mostly skiing, but you know, like we go through like periods of time where it's just too warm or too wet to go skiing. Um, and so down in town, like it's great mountain biking. Like I remember the other day, I like went out and I was like, what? Like, how is the dirt so grippy and so good? And yeah, the split has kind of, well, this, the last couple of weeks I've been skiing a lot, but you know, like in January I was uh, probably riding my bike a couple of times a week, every week. It can get confusing though. And then there are some days where like shoulder season, like November and March, like it will just be powing like up Uh in the mountains. And I'm like, oh, but I got to go get first laps on whatever this is. And then like you'll come into town and it'll be like full sun. And it's just like, well, also we need to go get bike laps too. Those are some of my favorite days. Yeah. Boy, you're really making Bellingham sound like it sucks. I shouldn't tell anybody this. Oh, yeah, you can mountain bike and, and, and ski. ski on the same day. And it's like good, like good skiing and good mountain biking on like the same day. Yeah. It's interesting, right? I had Sage Catabrigal Losan, and we were kind of talking a bit about this like dual 
nature thing of like the skiing and the biking. And I confessed, you know, to Sage that like at the start of ski season this year, I was like, I don't want to start skiing. Like, I think I like mountain biking more. And, and, you know, and, uh, I've, I've been talking to some of my friends about this and I think we're, I'm coming to, a. I've got my take on this about sort of like if we got to compare the skiing to the mountain biking, but I'm curious for you, if you, do you have a kind of like, oh, right now skiing has my heart and biking is kind of number two and then they switch places or do they kind of, does it stay like, I love both and I always love both. Like, what is this like for you? Oh man. Well, Oh, it's so there's like, I could just talk about this for so long. (laughs) I've thought about it so much and it changes like with every season too. Um, I do so, so much riding and like, I mean, we, I ride like pretty solidly, like, um, eight, nine months out of the year. I get so many days of riding during the summer. It's just like, you just ride most days. It's easy to get a lap or half lap in, or, you know, take the fire road up to the Cedar just jumps and just do jumps in the evening. So like, I'm just always on my bike. Um, whereas skiing, it's just like, I feel like we only get, you know, this four month period of time to really get after it in the mountains at Baker at least. Um, but I don't know. It's tricky. I feel like Biking is so special because it connects me to place and it connects me to home. And Bellingham is so special because we have so much riding that's so accessible. It just feels like it's so easy to just get on my bike and like be a part of nature and be a part of town. And um, I feel like skiing is definitely more of a hustle to get up to the mountains. And I feel like the work life just overall balance is always like a little bit hectic during ski season, but you know, you're all in, which is the most amazing feeling ever. I would say that biking is just so consistent, right? And then skiing, you go through all these like highs and your lows. I always joke around with my friends that like skiing is like that crazy ass boyfriend. Like when it's really good, it's like really great. And when it's really bad, it's like not good. And then mountain biking is like the really consistent boyfriend who's like, oh, like, I'll take care of you. This is like easy. Like it's super mellow. There's like no drama. (laughs) This is amazing. This is the first time of the many (laughs) conversations I've had on these topics. This is the first time I've ever heard skiing called the crazy boyfriend. Yeah. I I completely agree with you, by the way. Like I'm like, yeah, it's, that's exactly what, we were kind of coming around to in the the last conversation I was having some people around here is that like out of say 20 mountain bike rides, most of those 20 are going to, they're going to tend to fall in the like really good. Whereas skiing, like, yeah, it's always amazing to be out in the mountains. Like I'm truly grateful every day regardless, but that like, Oh my God, like that where the conditions are just so prime. I think that skiing is just a lot more kind of condition dependent. Yes. And I think that's kind of what, or AKA skiing is the crazy boyfriend. Yeah. (laughs) But also like, 
you know, I, I guess on the flip side of that, for me, as like a person who's just, you know, maturing and growing up, I think that, like, I feel like when I'm on a mic, you know, like, I have days where I'm like, good to go, like physically, mentally, let's get this. And I do it, right. But then there are a lot of days where like, my mind doesn't work out or something's not working with my bike. I feel like I sometimes like, force myself to kind of take a step back or like take a break or you know kind of like come back to like a zone or you know a jump later whereas like skiing it being conditioned or like condition dependent especially with backcountry skiing like nature is constantly just like making me take a couple steps back it's constantly humbling me it's constantly saying like oh hey you need to take a break or um, and then there are moments when it's like, oh, this is definitely on. Um, but I'm, I feel like before that was definitely a, an emotional roller coaster. And now I'm realizing, you know, nature is always just kind of like trying to communicate to us and tell us things, you know? Yeah. And I mean, you got me thinking about just like, especially maybe in the backcountry skiing world, when we're dealing with tricky snowpacks or something, this is another conversation we were just having last night about how to listen and how to pay attention and because it's not an exact science, right? And But so trying to be t- attuned and thinking like, I feel good and this seems right to go or n- not today or not there. Whereas mountain biking, there isn't, I don't think we deal with that dynamic nearly as much. Yeah. It's in is super humbling and it's just like those lessons I feel like I just take into there's no way that I'm not gonna take that into my everyday life. Yeah. Yep. I have another quote of yours that I wanted to ask you about. <laughs> oh geez. Yeah. This is from this film Becoming Ruby that came out uh, I believe that came out very end of April of last year. And I mean it's really it's so good in a lot of ways. I imagine a lot of our audience will have already have had a chance to watch it, but if they haven't, you should go watch Becoming Ruby. But, you know, it is a film talking a bit about like inclusivity. And by the way, your sister is kind of amazing in the <laughs> film. Like everybody should, everybody should follow my sister on TikTok and Instagram. <laughs> she just came in and like for that, like, the short cameo I was like wow you just <laughs> killed this but i mean it was she was fantastic and so okay so tiktok it doesn't get to have her own show i can 100%. see this yeah i'm i'm, I'm all right i fully yeah. believe you yeah i had a phone call with my dad today and i was like yeah i'm gonna do a podcast and he's like oh i should be on the podcast too <laughs> so let's get the next time a family podcast <laughs> Can yes. we? That would be amazing. That would be our first. That would be our oh first like goodness. family podcast. I think that would okay. be hilarious. My dad is absolutely like, the most ridiculous. Person. Okay. Well, now, now you, now we have to do this at some point. <laughs> so we'll we'll talk. It seems like this needs to happen now. Yeah, he's looking for a job. He's looking for work. He's like, can I be your stunt double? Like, do you need do you need somebody to help you be like make this ad for content or something like that? I can do I can do okay. all these things. Including being your <laughs> podcast sidekick. Yes. Wow, we started by talking about your sister. Well, you talked about your mom earlier. Then we got to your sister, quickly got to mm-hmm. your dad. It sounds like you've got a pretty fantastic family, or at least a lot of characters. Or both? 
Okay. I love my family. Oh, okay. Family <laughs> podcast. You're, I, I'm going to guess yes. your dad's going to listen to this. So I don't know. We'll see. Oh, now you're not going to let him? <laughs> no. Because <laughs> I talked about him. There's no way. <laughs> well, one of us would like to do the family podcast here. And, uh, the dad cast. Oh, that's a new, that's a new. That could be series. your dad's new thing. He can launch the dad cast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And maybe just have your sister on as the guest every week. Sounds like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds perfect. Well, in, in the film, you know, you're, you're at a table with your sister and I, I think it comes up, you're asking her like, well, what do you think about biking or mountain biking? And she's like, I don't know, some kids do it at school. You were like, well, did that seem compelling? Did, were you kind of curious? And she's like, ah, not really. They like, didn't seem that cool or kind of stuck up a little bit. And I think from there, and I was like, man, that was such a, like, appreciate the candor, you know? Yes. That is Jaden. I mean, it stopped me in just thinking about like the conversations we have and what our reviews look like and the rest. And, you know, these are important things to be thinking about. But this is all a big runway into the specific line I wanted to ask you about. I, it doesn't really get fleshed out too much in the film, but you say, I think that's a big hurdle for people is feeling guilty leaving behind identity yeah. i just would love to hear you talk a little bit more if if you if that if you're like yeah yeah i definitely remember saying that and here's what i was kind of you know had in mind i feel guilty i think sometimes because uh maybe i'm not doing enough to you know help like raise up other women of color maybe maybe me pursuing what i'm doing you know being the representation you know pursuing sport in this way like sometimes i feel like it's not enough or i don't deserve it or i'm not good enough and i think sometimes i wonder you know i i feel guilty about you know kind of leaving behind you know or i guess stepping out of what maybe i guess my family ever thought i would ever do yeah, I don't know. And I, I feel like, I mean, that's why representation is so important is like, you know, I should be able to be all of myself, my most black is self, you know, my mar most artistic self, um, my most girly self, um, but also enjoy the sports that I like to do and um, be able to pursue them and progress in them. But I think that I'm I'm starting to overcome that guilt I think you know when I when we filmed Becoming Ruby I felt like so much was on my, my shoulders like I had just like a boulder that I needed to roll up a hill and people would always be like oh my gosh Brooklyn you're killing it you're the change that you want to see and I'm like whoa this is a lot for me to try to be the change that I want to see I am the change that I want to see in the fact that like I am becoming Ruby but, you know, I'm not solving, like, systemic racism. I'm not solving all these issues. That is on us. That is on everyone. Like, if we all want to see change, like, we all need to be the change that we need, that we want to see. And I think that, uh, like, Uprising was really hard because it, like, unraveled a lot of trauma for me over the summer. And I felt really isolated. But also, like, in a lot of ways, it it showed people in my life 
and especially like good friends that like it's just like not all on me to like solve racism it's not all on me to like change like outdoor industry it is on us yeah and yeah I I don't know I, I think that guilt comes from just like not feeling like I was doing enough good for the world or doing enough good for women of color but I don't think I ever will be good enough so I just need to accept that maybe this is something that like is a bit of a mark of like a good person. There's a bit of a dialectic. Like we started the top of this conversation, we were having just an enthusiastic conversation about like, it was a great day in the mountains with friends, right? And mm-hmm. now we're kind of asking a different question in this question of like, well, are you doing enough? Am I doing enough, right? And it's mm-hmm. like, I think it probably is a very responsible thing to be raising that question, that reevaluation of all values type of thing. It's funny. I've never ever thought of myself as some sort of like self-care person. That's not, that's not been sort of my, how I'm wired per se, but like, does anybody need you to not be appreciating your current situation? Yeah. I just feel like I I can't really do anything except just, except what the universe has put on my plate, you know? Yeah. You know, I mentioned earlier this, I really think a lot about these seasons of life these days and, or like chapters Mm -hmm. of life. Maybe this can help. Again, I think it is valid and a good thing for all of us to be going back and asking the question, what else can we be doing? Are we doing enough? And yet, like, my God, I want people to appreciate their current situation and their current circumstances, right? Like, I think, are you 23 years old? 24. Sorry to Mm -hmm. steal a year from you. 24. And it's like, you're, you've got this such an interesting world going on right now. And guess what? Maybe when you're 34 or 44 or 64, you're probably not going to be doing exactly the same things, right? And I think, yeah, like, I don't know, not that you needed me. I just, <laughs> but like, enjoy this, go full in on this yeah. right now. And because I, I know you're going to keep thinking and you're going to keep looking and paying attention. And if you, if and when you are pulled off to do something else or something additional, I like that, then you'll do that. And it will be awesome and you'll string together a life of all these interesting chapters. Mm -hmm. Does that resonate? I don't know. I'm like very much trying to sort this out for myself as well. I am definitely there. Yeah. Yes. It's just a matter of like being a little bit more selfish and being really intentional about how I navigate, you know, the, the next chapter of my life. Does it have to be selfish? I mean, like, what's the difference between selfish and focus? Because you know you're not going to be good at anything without focus, right? No, no. It's funny. Uh, me and my roommate were joking about this the other day. We're like, we're going to be selfish. It's going to be a selfish 2021. And it's just that word just needs better connotation. Better connotation. Huh. Yeah. It was funny. We were talking about it was a uh, we're going to be selfish and we're going to be jealous. <laughs> I was... I was telling her that I was like, I had a moment of jealousy and like whenever I have a moment of jealousy, 
like I don't get jealous very often, but whenever I have a moment of jealousy for something, like I almost get a little bit excited because I'm like, ding, 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 ding. I want what that person has. How do I figure out how to spend more time with that person or like learn how to like do what they're doing? Let me investigate this more. My North Star is telling me to go off in this direction. I want to know more. Um, you know, it's a, it can feel like not a great feeling, but it, if you do something with it, it can be just such a great can point you in the right direction. Just to make sure I'm tracking, this was a defense of jealousy. Yes. So we we're we're yeah. you are selfish and jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say you are rehabilitating the terms selfish and jealous. Yeah. Yes, me and my roommate. You and your roommate. This is a big project. Yeah. I like this. Yes. <laughs> we we often ask people in, in this podcast, like, what's your big idea? I think I might just I might let this one the rehabilitation I think this is yeah, it. <laughs> the rehabilitation of selfish and jealous. Yeah. Okay. Can we go back to talking about bikes a little bit? Yes, we can talk about bikes. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, people. This is 100% my fault <laughs> if we haven't been talking about bikes more. But this was fun and I'm learning a lot. So there's obviously a lot of different sort of disciplines that kind of fall under the rough umbrella of mountain biking. Talk a little bit about maybe one or two of the kind of subsets of mountain biking that is most attractive to you right now or is kind of on your horizon? Yeah. Uh, right now, I really just love riding steeps. I don't know what that is summarized as mountain biking, but whatever mountain biking kind of feels like I'm skiing and the tire is locked up, I really like that. I love getting airtime with drops and jumps. I feel like all of the things that I've learned from skiing um, has translated really well to biking and then vice versa. Like I get back on my skis after biking, um, learning how to like ride jumps and drops and I just feel really good on my skis. Um, so that has been just really interesting to me is like learning how to be more stylish and be more fluid. Um, I feel like I, I, I I, like pandemic happened and I thought I was going to be racing and I ended up staying at home and I ended up really just enjoying like figuring out how to get creative on bikes. Interesting. So do you think that might stick a little bit? I think so. A slight shift away from sort of the racing. Yeah, I think so. I, um, I, uh, during the fall, um, I filmed an episode of Originate with Michelle Parker, big mountain skier, and then um, Hannah Bergerman. She's like free ride legend in Bellingham. And we went out to Orcas Island and all we did was hit jumps and drops and just, it was just so much fun. And I was like, oh, I could definitely see myself wanting to do more of this. Where are you at with bike packing these days? That's a really good question. I actually haven't gone bikepacking since um, I filmed um, Pedal Through. And that was my first time ever going bikepacking, too. First and last. Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, I was supposed to be the expert in that film. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's interesting, right? Like, I, the bikepacking thing hasn't, I have not gravitated 
to that yet. And I, I wonder, you know, and a, a number of friends are, I mean, that it's obviously a big growing discipline, but, um, it's always just fun to ask like where people are and these things are totally subject to change. Right. But yeah, I mean like that, uh, what is it? I think it's like the Baja divide. Like that looks really mm. cool. Like going bike packing, hey, on the beach, having lots of tacos, like just being in the sun. Cause I never get sun. <laughs> that sounds really yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, I'm just like so much more curious about, you know, um, just steeper, more technical lines and figuring out all these weird ways that I can move my bike. That's cool. I want to let you get going soon. Cause you had an early start. It's, you know, getting late here. But before I let you go, I did want to ask you a bit about books, music, and or movies. Yes. Anything really grabbed you recently? So TV shows. Oh, man. Pandemic. I feel like I've been watching more TV shows than I've ever watched. Like, I never watched TV, really, until the pandemic, which is kind of crazy. TV is fantastic. Um, I, there's so much good TV. I'm I'm a defender. Yes. I mean, there's a lot of really bad TV, I guess. But I think like, have we ever had better television options? No, it's yeah. great. See, it's super entertaining. And like, uh, I went through. I watched a bunch of like black movies and black television shows with my boyfriend, and that was really helpful for him to like learn all these like nuanced things that I didn't or like. I would still like help him, but like, you know, the TV shows would teach him and he could like Google it later. Like that, that was super cool. Um, I guess like TV shows that I've been watching, I've been really liking the British baking show. I don't know the British baking show. Basically. So they have like this big baking competition. Um, and it's like a bunch of people bake, but aren't like professional bakers. And so it's like a bit of a gong show at the beginning of like each season because you're just like, oh, man, these people are not that great. But by the end of the season, people start to get good at baking and they come up with these elaborate desserts. And I'm not exactly sure exactly how it's filmed, but they film it over like a full summer and they give everybody time to go practice and learn how to be better bakers. And it's pretty cool. Do you have like one other? One other show girlfriends it's like early 2000s like sitcom that just is for black women who are just like successful and just like living life and i'm like sweet i like have like when i watch girlfriends like i have friends (laughs) this this was early 2000s (laughs) yeah okay yeah girlfriends okay if i were to watch one of the two first yes do i go british baking show or girlfriends Definitely girlfriends. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. I thought my boyfriend wasn't going to like it, but then my boyfriend liked girlfriends. <laughs> Everything's coming up bases for you right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anything on the music or book front? Everybody's going to think I have like the weirdest taste in like everything. It's so all over the place. I found an album that I really liked just kind of like by chance. It, I forget the name of the album, but it's this, by this artist called Dirtwire, and they make like this really beautiful like bluegrass music um, that kind of feels like really cinematic. So when we're driving through the mountains, it's like oh, we feel like we're in this like cool movie or like cool documentary. 
cinematic bluegrass. Yeah, I'll I'll have to send you like a little bit of it because it's really good. Yes, please. That's the best, most captivating description of a musical genre. Cinematic bluegrass. Yes. You should just sit around naming things. <laughs> no. I think this is the real the real gift you have, you know, for yeah. the world. Cinematic bluegrass. Like I'm not a bluegrass fan, but I will listen all day to cinematic bluegrass. This is good. I've been listening to this woman named Remba. She is like rapper and singer and she just like creates like these really beautiful lyrics that kind of feel a little bit more like Kendrick Lamar. A couple of her songs have like just really pretty um like acoustic guitar in them and like maybe a slight bit of twang and it's just so interesting it's such a cool like just like the cinematic bluegrass like i love just genres that don't make sense together yeah this feels like you know not to pigeonhole you but that seems like a Mm -hmm. fairly apt description of maybe a lot of elements of your life and your art and you know (laughs) None of it makes sense. Yeah, that's good. Don't don't start. Don't start trying to make sense. No. Well, Brooklyn, this is fantastic. It's really fun to get this chance to connect with you and to to learn a bit more about kind of your story and what you're thinking about these days and what you're up to these days. And back on the whole when you're the question of like, is this enough for whatever? Like, please just keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to listening to my first bit of cinematic bluegrass i'm gonna send you the link to this please do it's so good you're like you're gonna listen to it in the car while you're driving you're like whoa (laughs) i I believe you so yeah i hope that uh, my i I just pray that my description is like accurate (laughs) i get to have a great conversation i get these new tv shows like girlfriends (laughs) (laughs) and then these uh these new artists these new artists to check out do you have a preferred way if people want to kind of keep tabs on what you're up to these days Mm -hmm. um do you have a preferred social media are you trying to direct people more to a website where should where should people go to learn more about what you're up to you can just follow me on instagram my handle is badgal underscore brookie Bad gal brookie. Yeah, yeah. Future frog scientist. Oh, yeah. Got so much hop. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I feel like we got a lot to follow up on in this conversation, (laughs) but we'll do that another time, including like, you know, dad cast. Dad cast. (laughs) This has been a really fruitful conversation. Again, thank you so much for taking the time. Good luck with ski season. Good luck with the bike stuff. Good luck with the artwork. You know. Just keep it going. Thanks, Jonathan. All right. You take care. Cool. Well, that's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. Thanks to Brooklyn for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again tomorrow over on our Gear 30 podcast feed. So we will catch you over there. Take care, everybody.